fear is the the puppeteer that that controls all of our lives. And you might have some, let's call them loud fears. Let's say fear of heights or、uh, fear of swimming when you go near water or you're up on a cliff and you you feel like shaking fear. But I think for most people, what they don't realize is there's quiet fears too, and those manifest themselves in. Perfectionism, or jealousy, or many different things like that. For myself, I I was a scaredy cat for most of my life, and the thing I dreaded most of all things was public speaking. This is the Illuminate podcast, and I am your host, Rebecca Boatman. I am fascinated with human relationships, from going on first dates to understanding attachment styles and how our personal spiritual mission plays a big role in all of it. I created this podcast to invite you into conversations with inspiring leaders, and I, as we explore different topics surrounding dating, relationships, money, and spirituality. Before we start, make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. And my one ask, and a great way that you can contribute to the podcast, is to leave a five-star review. And now let's jump in. Today's episode is with Mike Corey. I stumbled across his Instagram account and was very fascinated by him. So I am really grateful he's here to share his wild life with us. He is a biology graduate turned travel host who never turns down an adventure. From an early age growing up in Canada, Mike's lifetime of curiosity has sent him searching out cultures, creatures, and locations that most people avoid. The intense passion has led him to grow his YouTube channel, Fearless and Far, to 1.5 plus million subscribers, receive two Emmy nominations for his adventure travel TV program, Uncharted Adventure, and an Ambi nomination for his podcast, Against the Odds. His career began after receiving his Bachelor of Science in Canada. Mike then backpacked the world for five years, volunteering as a research. Assistant for scientists studying ocean conservation, bringing a camera along for these trips allowed him to capture the material he needed to win several international travel video competitions and begin his YouTube channel. Now let's dive in. Well, hello, Mike, and welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. And for all of our listeners, I. Met Mike on Instagram and was very fascinated by his content. He is like no one that I've seen online and <laughs> travels the world and does crazy, fun, also dangerous adventures. And in looking at your content, Mike, it like activated a side in me that I probably haven't fully explored in terms of you know travel and going to just you know crazy places. And there, I have that desire inside, but of course also the fear. So when I saw your your content and what you're up to in the world, I'm like, wow, this is so inspiring. So I'm so grateful to have you on the show, and that I get to ask you a ton of questions. Well, it's interesting, dangerous, right? Because my my message is about fear, and I my journey through fear is how I have the alias Fearless and Far. So my name's Mike, but my online profiles. Uh, Instagram, YouTube is all fearless and far, and it's because I've learned fearlessness is not the lack of fear; it's just feeling the fear and doing it anyway. And therefore, a lot of the things I do they seem quite scary, quite dangerous. But we'll dive into it. I, I have very strong opinions about most of those things. Okay, awesome.、Mm-hmm. So, in all the adventures that you've done, what one felt like the biggest breakthrough for you? The biggest thing where you faced fear and you moved through it. Uh, it's interesting because I think that 
not I think, I know that fear is the the puppeteer that that controls all of our lives. And you might have some, let's call them loud fears, let's say fear of heights or uh, fear of swimming where you go near water or you're up on a cliff and you you feel like shaking fear. But I think for most people, what they don't realize is there's quiet fears too. And those manifest themselves in perfectionism or jealousy or many different things like that. For myself, I, I was a scaredy cat for most of my life. And the thing I dreaded most of all things was public speaking. And now I've got a YouTube channel with 2.1 million subscribers. I've got a TV show. I've got a podcast. I've got all these things as well. So my journey through that has been kind of the greatest journey along the way. I've chosen to push myself through travel because early on, when I first started traveling, when I was in my young 20s, I was kind of... I wish that humans could just wake up one day, read a book, listen to a podcast and drastically change their life. But unfortunately, how it works is we have to have our legs swept from underneath us by some tragic event. And then we go and do the things that change our lives. So for me, that was basically it. And that led to travel. And with travel being thrown to the wolves, essentially, I learned independence. I learned to find my voice. I learned that the world isn't a big, dangerous place like we're taught it is. If all you do is watch the media and and social media about what, what happens in the world, the disasters, the kidnappings, the explosions, all of that. Sure, it happens, but there's 8 billion people on the planet and we never hear the good stories, you know, only mm. the bad stories. Yeah, absolutely. I remember being in the airport about to fly to Davao in the Philippines and I called my grandpa and my grandpa's like, no, Becky, my darling, right? And his like thick German accent. He's like, no, don't go. You you know, he's like, oh, and I was like, what? I wasn't even, I had no fear inside. Like, I was just like, oh, I also had a business partner over there at the time. And it was a really cool experience. But then to hear his experience versus mine, drastically different. It's funny because on the news. Where did, yeah, where did he hear that, right? It would have been the news. And then he's giving you advice and he's giving you advice with love, but really it's just hand me down fear. Like he doesn't have any firsthand experience. He was told it was handed to him, then it's handed to you with love, but it's, it harms, right? Because of course he just wants you to be safe, but in some places in the world, like for example, if there's a shooting in Miami, will you still go to Seattle? I mean, of course, they're so mm -hmm. far apart, but we don't think of countries that way, right? If something happens in Turkmenistan, it's the entire country that we now label unsafe, not just specific, specific areas. So it's funny how we think about the world that way, right? You reminding me of when I was traveling and I was in another country, someone said to me, oh, I would never go to America because of all the shootings. And I remember thinking, really? Like, like, and I'm like, wow, that's your perception of America. And it, it like, I was like, wow, I don't, it's such a different experience for me, but uh, through experience. So, okay. What out of all the places that you've been, I'm basically like, give us a crazy story. Like, tell us, I know you have so many videos on YouTube and you share a lot. And what do you feel was, um, an experience where you, yeah, something in specific. I saw videos where you're, you know, you guys, Mike had videos where he literally got hung by his skin. That's so Oh, crazy. you saw that like, one. <laughs> I was talking you all yesterday, put bars through your back. Do you have scars from that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that's a funny one. I don't like to open with that one, but I will because yeah. you definitely brought it up because that was the epitome of what I stand for. And body suspension is what you're talking about. I did it a few years ago, and I want to tell you that I didn't just actively seek it out. I wasn't like, I want to do this. It's on my bucket list. 
what happened is that I had um, a labray piercing. So like this spot underneath your lip, not your lip, but like the, the skin there. I had a, a piercing there a while ago. And the the girl who did that, um, she we, she was cute. We hung out. We didn't ever date, but we just kind of kept in contact with, with Instagram. And over the, the years that went by, uh, she was posting her tattoos, but also started posting her body suspension and when i first saw it on my instagram feed i was like oh my god what is it's this like fear thing? factor the show something you'd probably do and it just looked insane hanging by hooks from your skin and i saw it pop up pop up and then one day i, I messaged her her name was diana i was like hey listen die what is with this because it's freaking me out a little bit and what she said was oh it's body suspension uh, i just did it again last week it's the most powerful thing i've ever done in my life do you want to come see? And I said, whoa, um, I maybe I, I was in the town where, where she was or very close by. I said, and my brain started ticking for, for content, right? Because I'm a YouTuber. And the fact that she said it's the most powerful thing she's ever done intrigued me. How could something so obviously painful be the most powerful thing you've ever done? And then she followed up with a text saying, oh, by the way, you can do it too if you want. And I said, well, don't you need like some kind of certification or and she's like, no, no, no. Just as long as you can handle the, the, the squeamishness of watching somebody else do it, then anybody can do it on the first day. And then, Rebecca, there was a very interesting idea or force or thing that popped in my head, which was if I am indeed Mr. Fearless and Far, who says he will do anything as long as he's safe, won't cause permanent harm. And as long as he knows there's a benefit, even if it's scary, I will always say yes. I'm not looking to maim myself, get horribly sick, any of these different things. But here I have someone saying it's the most powerful thing they've ever done. It sure scares the hell out of me. But really, what's the worst case that's going to happen? I fall the three, four inches to the ground and I get scars from it happening, but I'm covered in tattoos and scars anyway. So, you know, are you going to step up and be the man you portray yourself to be? Mr. Fearless and Far. <laughs> and so I showed up without the specific intention to do it. And but to record it, I spoke to them. There was four guys there. Each one said it was the most powerful thing they've ever done. So I watched my friend Diana hang by two hooks on her ribs. She spun around. She cried from some sort of emotional catharsis. And it was beautiful, but a little bit scary, knowing that I was going to probably go next. But the thing that, that people don't quite understand about that is um, you know, your fascia, you know what that is? is it, but no, I'm going to butcher out. You explain it. <laughs> it's basically just the connective tissue that puts yourself together under the skin. Is it like, if there's an orange, I've heard it like the, the, the white layer inside the orange, orange is like your fascia. That's a fantastic example. Yeah, okay. exactly. Being pulled by that is incredibly emotional because it's a deep pull from down in your body. And when I had the hooks in my back, I had four, she showed me a video of someone hanging two people. So one holding on to the other's legs, one person had um, one hook in their back, and they could hang two people on one hook. The beginner always has four. So there's not really any chance it's going to rip out. But still, as you're being reeled up like er, 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 and you're going centimeter by centimeter by centimeter and you then feel it one, pulling your one little tippy toe touching and you have to, to let go oh my god that was a feeling 
but what's really interesting is there's a four person team that makes it happen. So there's one person who is cranking the crank and you give the signal to go up or go down. Somebody else who is watching, they're called, they're doing bio. So someone watching the, the piercings to make sure there's no blood or tearing. Another person who is your emotional coach who has you by the hands, holding your hands, keeping eye contact with you, making sure you're emotionally okay. And one person supervising the, the whole situation. So there's an incredible, incredibly great safety network. And as I'm giving the signals and the moment comes to lift that last toe off and it's hurting like hell, I lift my toe off and I'm flying and the pain goes away. The adrenaline kicks in and I spin and do tricks and fly for 20 minutes. And I understood why they did it. I don't think I'd do it again. However, that, that deep pulling of your emotions out through your back. If you're dealing with anything in life, there's nothing else like that feeling. And the thing is, pain is a really good way to, if you're feeling pain emotionally and you do something difficult that maybe even causes physical pain um, in that sense there, then you can have some sort of release from that. Um, not advocating self-harm or anything like that, but you know what I mean? Like putting yourself through a, a hardship, something difficult seems to just purge the demons within with white light. And so mm -hmm. I spun around for 20 minutes. They played my favorite music and made a YouTube video out of it. And that's that's kind of what I, that's, that's a summary or a, a great example of what I do. I find things that people don't understand that are, they're scared of it, or they think it's bad or dangerous. And then I tell the whole story and show them, hey, there's much more here than what you think. When I was a child, it was the snakes and salamanders and spiders in my backyard. I'd lift up rocks, I'd find this creature, and I'd try to convince everyone how this, this slimy thing is actually very cool. Look at the exoskeleton. Look how it molts its skin. Look how it smells with its tongue. Not everyone wanted to learn about snakes and spiders. Uh, but I, I took that attitude towards the world. And so now I uncover cultures, activities, countries that are misunderstood and mislabeled and show the beauty within that we our, our prejudice doesn't let us see originally. That's that's summing up, summing up what I do. Wow. Hmm. And then with when you say release in the body expansion, uh, suspension, are, are you like crying when you're up there? Are you crying afterwards? Like, will you tell me more what that release is? It, is it a just white light? And then that's the experience or is it a continuous process afterwards? What was that like for you? I think it's just such great symbolism for accepting the pain and suffering and hardship. And because you you don't have to go up in the air, right? You can at any point say, I'm done. Thank you for your time and, and leave. But it's the embracing the fact that it will hurt, trusting that it will get better, that there is a result that you want, and just deciding to feel this, this pain and fear and, and own it and say, I'll be okay. Let's mm -hmm. just, let's go through with it. I think that's part of what it was. And that deep, again, deep seated pulling from your shoulders, like something's being pulled out of your body, Yeah. put all that together. And yeah, it, it was extremely emotional for sure. Are there any cultures that practice this as a part of an initiation or consistently that you've come across? Yeah. Well, not, not these days. Well, actually they does happen these days 
culturally, but the roots aren't just some tattooist piercing artist deciding to be freaky. There, there's, I believe, is the Dakota Indians or some Native American tribes in the mm. in the United States used to hang by hooks to prove themselves to a particular deity, and they would hang until the skin broke for days. So they'd hang themselves by hooks and they just stay there until your body can't handle anymore. And they fell. And that was their penance towards, I believe it was sun, sun God or something. But to this day, it still happens a lot in, uh, in uh, India and also in Thailand, they have these festivals where they show their penance to the gods and they pierce themselves. They hang themselves by hooks. They put swords through their cheeks, all sorts of different things. And even then you can go to the Philippines and uh, during Holy week, there's guys there and they flay themselves. And even guys who, who like flay their skin. Oh, it's not, it gets worse than that. There's still people there who still hang themselves on crosses, nails through their hands and feet every year on a cross to again, pay their dues to the, the God they believe above. So this stuff still has always happened and still does happen in some places in the world. Wow. I know, right? <laughs> I'm blown away. I can also imagine that inside the process of those four people pulling, you know, putting these, not hooks, or you call them bars, I believe in the back, in your back and being pulled, I can, I'm other right there. So that's what was in your skin. And this is one version of it. Yeah. Which is basically wow. a, a fish hook with a barb removed. Is this a video podcast or audio or both? Uh, both. Okay, well, there so we go. So everyone, audience. if you're if you're on audio, go over YouTube. It's on video. <laughs> you want to see? Um, I can imagine that there, uh, a part of the release being, okay, I'm I'm. This is very vulnerable. This is very unpredictable, and I I'm in this super unknown, and I'm you know the quiet fears that we may have from the hunter gatherer part of us is like, actually, usually when this was happening, it wasn't safe and I was going to die. Mm. Now I'm inside of this experience where I'm actually being supported and I'm going through the fear and they're and having other humans around you. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine that it also creates new connections in the brain for new anchor points of, of, um, of if you're, you know, in sort of any physical pain or a vulnerable experience that you can still be safe and still live. So it's like you're dying and living and you're also being supported by humans rather than, Hey, I'm going to, you know, you're dead. You're, you were in war and you're gone. Yeah. And what's really interesting is traveling around the world and seeing different rites of passage of, of different tribes. Most of them, well, that we've, pretty much eradicated most of them around the world, especially in West and Western culture. But when you still see rites of passage, which is a, a ceremony that happens when a, a girl becomes a woman or a boy becomes a man, they almost always revolve around some sort of pain with support from the community. For example, I was in the, in uh, Leticia, but South of uh, in the southern part of Colombia, and I visited a tribe there where when the women had their first period, they were brought into a grass uh, hut, and they there was a particular berry they they dyed them entirely blue with, so it dyed your skin blue, almost like a tattoo. It would last maybe two, three weeks, and wow. all of the women of the village would go in in the dark and pull out all of the girls' hair one by one. Wait, strand. each other's hair? No, just the girl who is, uh, who her, has got her, her, yeah, her first period. So now a woman, the whole, all the women would come and pull the hairs out one by one from her head until she was bald in the dark. And then when she was bald and blue, then I'm briefly pausing this episode to invite you to something very special. 
If you are ready to access bravery and to challenge your current sense of self and to step into and embody your new sense of self, one that is a frequency match for the partnership, for the things, for the life that you desire, then I invite you to explore my Meet the Frequency membership that is full of powerful step-by-step workshops to help you become a frequency match for the life that you desire. The link is in the description below and you can use code illuminate for $20 off. And now back to the episode. The various women would come in day by day and teach her all of the things she needed to be to become a woman. And she'd be in there for about a month. And then after that month in the hut, she's learned all of the things to become a woman. She's been reborn. She And she enters the village as a respectable woman ready to be married. And the these that's quite an extreme example, but why is wow. it that over and over and over again, that pain is always the thing that allows us to have that, that, that bridges us to the next part of our lives, right? Another tribe in the Amazon called the Matawi Sawe, I believe, the, the men, the boys, they take a bullet ant. So bullet ants are these two inch long ants that the sting of this ant is supposed to feel like a bullet. It's the most painful. It's sting. an actual ant. Yeah. Huge thing. <sighs> That would freak me out. That would be my. <laughs> well, wait to get the next part. They take, they make these gloves out of woven grass, and they put hundreds of bullet ants in each glove. And the boys have to put their hands in these gloves, something like three, four times a day for a couple of weeks. And again, they're just getting stung over and over and over and over and over and over. And then after that, they become a man. It's interesting. Why? Again, these things evolved independently all over the world, these rites of passage with pain. And now we want to live comfortable lives where we don't feel much discomfort and there's no pain. Um, but one thing that's, that's, I think, very curious for me is in, in a culture, in a world where we're given everything we've ever wanted, right? All the food, all the shelter, everything. Um, we still suffer more than ever. Why is that? You know? hypothetically, we should be happiest because we don't have to fight, wake up in the morning and go hunt a baboon for breakfast. You know what I mean? We have food in our fridge. We don't even have to go that far. We have Amazon. Exactly. You don't have to leave your house. So then what's up with us being so goddamn upset and upset all the time when everything's perfect, right? I personally think that there's something there, something very human about pain and suffering. And the more you try to push it, push it away, the more it just creeps in. And if you don't give your body a challenge, it will create challenge in your own life. And then you're yelling at me or yelling at you on Twitter about something we'd said or didn't say. <laughs> it's threads now, but yeah, <laughs> no, Twitter's still a thing. Yeah. Well, okay. So one question when you were saying in blueberries with their head, all their hair taken out, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, is this what inspired Avatar? Like you're a blue person <laughs> yeah, yeah, no exactly. hair? Like that. Yeah. Yeah. No hair but, and all blue. So do you know if the women would look forward to that? Were they like, oh, I can't wait to get my period and go through that process. Or there was or probably a mixture of that. And also like fear. I think there would be some fear, but again, if everyone's, if it's a big party, and you know it's it's the it's to trend to make the transition from you know girl to woman or boy to man and you want to be a man or you want to be a woman there's honor with that you know you're not yeah. a kid anymore like when you were a kid you always you kind of wanted to grow up right you wanted to be able to do all the stuff the adults do drink beer yeah. or whatever or go hunting let's say in the amazon um 
I th- I would think that they that they would be excited. I didn't couldn't have that conversation, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Didn't. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's reminding me of our calibrates that we, I mean, they're obviously not as extreme at all, but what we give inside our community are what we called calibrates where you're being brave and you're calibrating to a new frequency, a new version of mm-hmm. you. And mm-hmm. you know, there, there, it'll be something like, I'm thinking of one in particular where Amanda actually shout out to Amanda. She got to go find a, a man, a random stranger inside target and ask him to slow dance with her in public to, yeah. <laughs> to, uh, a song, the whole song, like you couldn't stop. You had to do the whole two minutes. And for some people that is absolutely terrifying. And for her, there was fears there, but she did it anyways. And then the, the breakthrough, like the power that happens afterwards. And just the it's, it, it literally feels like, and I want to know if you can relate to this almost like you graduate in consciousness, mm-hmm. like, Oh, wow. I, 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 almost hopped into a new timeline or a new earth or new something. And I graduated in my perspective and my ability to see and relate and, and have wisdom that only comes from experience and experience is challenging. There's challenge, challenge involved in experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the book psycho cybernetics? Sounds I've heard of it. I have not read it. So basically it's a book that's written by a uh, plastic surgeon about self image and most other books about self image have been psychologists and things like that. But this guy, he, he wrote the book because he had been doing plastic surgery for 30 years. And you see many people come in, some of that were just disfigured from car crashes, others who just didn't like their nose and he would fix some and try to have conversations with others. But, but basically what he realized is there's people who can come in and they want to get a mole removed and they think they look ugly. You take away the mole and they look at themselves and like, no, I, I don't look any better or their nose is too big and you fix it. Oh, I no, I look the same and they're stuck. But people who have these disfiguring scars from car crashes, you can fix it the best you can. They don't look that much better or look better to an extent. And then they have a completely different, they're like, oh my God, I'm beautiful now. And so he realized that self-image is not, there, your perception of your image is much more than what you actually look like. And the book is about how you'll never rise beyond your self-image. And each one of us has an image of ourselves in our head that's been sculpted by all of the bullshit childhood traumas we all go through. Some are, you know, some are more drastic than others, but ultimately, big or small, they all hit us the same way. You know what I mean? And with that, you put handicaps and training wheels on your life, and you'll never raise beyond that. And I feel something like that in the grocery store you give yourself a new data point. If your whole life, you just kind of, you know, were shy in the corner and you, you never were the center of attention. Everybody wants to be part of a community and everybody wants to express themselves, but most of us kind of get beaten down and into not doing so. Mm-hmm. But by this, this uh, brave challenge, you, you said, you give yourself a new data point of, you know, I can do these things. I can be that vibrant flower that I always wanted to be. And then therefore the rush comes of, Oh my God, like, what else can I, what else can I do? Especially with fear. I find fear is a bully. And if you like a schoolyard bully, if you let yourself be pushed around all of the time, it'll keep pushing you around. But the moment you stand up and say, no, it ends today. I'm going to go slow dance to Iris by Goo Goo Dolls in (laughs) in, uh, Costco or whatever, then, then you're like, what else can I do? You know, and same thing with the, the body suspension. It's crazy, right? You know, but it's the most talked about video. And it's, I mean, only, I don't think it even has a million views. I have videos with 60 million views, you know, 
-hmm. But that's the one that I get asked the most about because I think it scratches some curiosity in people where it's maybe there's more to it, right? And mm -hmm. fear, exactly. If you do something that's just really freaky, but you you make it through, you're like, wow, what, what else can I do, right? And that's a very powerful way to live. Mm, yeah, it, it almost goes in, uh, from can I do it to, oh, no, I can't. You, you graduate to, oh, I can. So what does that mm -hmm. look like? What does yeah. that require of me to move forward in that? So it, has there ever been anything that you've turned down where you're like, okay, I see you guys are doing that, but that's just, I, I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Yeah, well, I only do things that I understand. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's almost... Like if you're a professional skier and you go down a triple black diamond and there's cliffs everywhere, um, then it's no problem because you know what you're doing, right? And you understand the sport. But if you're, you know, didn't even do a run down the bunny hill and someone puts some skis on your on your legs, it's it becomes reckless, right? So for myself, I've been traveling for 12 years now, um, off and on, and I have put the time in to learn how to skydive, scuba dive, free dive. Hike, bike, you pick it. I, I've I've tried it because I want to give myself enough reference points to know when I'm actually in danger, and where my abilities lie. If you can, if you can grow your ability bubble, then and you operate within there, you can do things that appear very dangerous to other people. But you're like, I know the risk, and I've mitigated the risks. I plan for the risks. There's always bad luck, but hey. You can't you can't be afraid and sit in your couch your whole life because really the riskiest thing you can do is take no risks because obesity kills like the most people in the USA. And so if you want to sit home and watch TV and be afraid, you're probably going to die of that. So you might as well cut it there, you know, drop the mic. Yeah, I, this <laughs> motivates people. So what would the body suspension, I would say, is, you know, several levels up, at least for me and maybe for some people listening, it's not for the listeners and for me, what would you say is like, okay, here's another, here's something that you would recommend to everyone. That'd be maybe the first, you know, and well, it's hard to say for tears. Cause I know it's different from person to person, but what are some other things that you recommend are powerful experiences around the world that would support people in facing fears? I got some for you. Okay. The most basic thing that I think anybody can do is go camping by themselves. Mm. Go to a campground, get a tent, sleep there by yourself. You're going to hear a little click in the bushes and you're going to say, oh my God, it's a bear. And you're going to freak out and it's just going to be a twig falling and you're going to be fine. You probably won't sleep. Mm. But little things like that, because all you hear about is the bear attacks and the backpackers who got knifed or whatever. It, 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 yeah, I can't say it doesn't happen. But again, mm -hmm. um, there's there's really very little worry with these kinds of things going camping by yourself is something that's 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 a very big gesture but also uh something that's a bit more fun than that if you're not so outdoorsy is travel that's that's how i started but don't travel with your friend and if you're sitting at home and you are planning to travel and your friend's supposed to come and you're waiting go without your friend there's all every every solo backpacker every solo traveler has the same story where they were supposed to go with somebody, that person couldn't get the money together, yada, yada, or they went and then had a fight. There's always going to be that one person in your life that's that's has the, the fear bug and can't overcome it. You just got to go do it. And the thing is, we we think the world's a big, scary place where no one speaks the same language. And what are you going to do when you land in, in 
Tokyo or Bangkok, but the reality is there's it's filled with people just like you who are traveling their whole life or traveling on their first trip and you meet them, you hang out, you go to a hostel and you, what's, what's amazing is that I can meet someone, we can have one smoky night in a backpacker bar and I can connect with them in one night more than someone in my hometown that I've known for my entire life. Because you outgrow where you're from, especially if you start to have a worldly view or a more spiritual view, you got to like no one in your hometown is going to say, oh, you should go backpack the world because 99.9% of them haven't haven't done that. And so they're going to say it's dangerous, but you get out there and you go backpacking and you meet people who have been doing it for two, five, 10 years. And they say it's the best thing they've ever done, right? Traveling is, is incredibly powerful for that. Um, and it doesn't even have to be that far. People think traveling has to be expensive, but it's a it's a curse. I, I blame it on the the invention of social media and also how the travel industry is a bit broken in the sense that the only most of the travel you see is the luxury resorts where this person's floating in the rose petal bathtub with the with the breakfast overlooking the jungle in mm-hmm. Bali. And they've got the white sheets and the little nest bed. And that's because these places cost hundreds of dollars a night. They've got marketing budgets to work with influencers. So if you're an influencer, you want to get paid to travel. So therefore, you the only people who are going to pay you are these luxury places. So all we see is luxury. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the mom and pop's dive shop in Palawan um, doesn't have a marketing budget, you know, so they're not going to pay you to dive with the whale sharks. You know what I mean? So it's funny how it's all skewed towards how expensive luxury travel has to be um, or luxurious travel has to be. But in reality, travel is is bare bones backpacking. It's going out there with nothing, making it work along the way. People live everywhere on this planet. It's amazing. And they live off dollars a day. So why can't you? Well, because you don't see it, right? Because all you see is the luxury. Well, you show up somewhere and you have 100 bucks in your pocket. You can make things work in, in most places in the planet. You might get mm. bed bugs, might get diarrhea, but hey, <laughs> you'll build some character. You're crapping your pants for a couple of days. I Put had some hair on your chest. Weeks. Mexico gave me diarrhea for three weeks. So I was like, okay, we're just rolling with it. But That's got to be a record. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> so I feel like where I get caught up and maybe some people can relate is logistics. I go like, for example, right now I have this calling for Peru. I don't know why I really don't even have that many images of Peru in my head, but my soul's like, go to Peru, go to Peru. And then I'm like, but logistics research and things like that, not my, not my strong suit. So almost if I just show up then with money and figure it out, it, it I think what's so powerful about that too, what you're saying is it it requires you to be resourceful. Mm-hmm. So if you're not resourceful and and you've been lazy or you're afraid, it, it, this scenario that you're giving us, it, it requires you to access a new level of resourcefulness to tap into more energy sources. And then it brings more energy into your field and your experience. And, and you build a lot of self-trust, a lot of confidence in that process. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. And it's funny that I just book flights and show up places all of the time. <laughs> so, but again, I, I'm, I'm a couple of years into the game now, but I guess I've realized through experience that um, you don't have to book your vacation in advance. You find a place that looks cool. I usually book accommodations in advance, but you can just show up and find a place and build it out once you get there. And honestly, my greatest adventures have been landing in a place, having one plan, talking to somebody at, at, a, at a hostel or on the street or meeting a friend, whatever. Um, one really cool thing is if you if you have any kind of pastime or hobby, it could be 
football, basketball, jujitsu, bachata dancing, picky anything, you can find communities in these places, any city in the world that, that does that, you show up, they're really happy to have some fresh blood or new, new talent in, in the place. Are you going to get killed? Fresh blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was thinking more like, uh, more like Muay Thai or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have like an inside circle of locals. And isn't that the travel dream to, yeah. to go to a place and fit in? Like, that's what we all want to do. And so you speak to people there and they'll say, oh, you know what? That waterfall is too touristy. We're going to this one this weekend or actually that temple. No, that, but that temple doesn't have a YouTube page or doesn't have a, you know, a a promo on the flyer. That's how you find the coolest adventures and you find yourself solo camping in castles and, you know, Mm -hmm. getting served hot milk tea on the slopes of Nepal or something that uh, you're not going to find on a tour tour list, you know? Oh, this is so expansive. It reminds me how I lived in Sedona, which I don't know if you've heard of Sedona or been there in Arizona. Yeah, yeah. And how you will hear tourists like, oh, I'm going here. And I'm like, if you only knew, <laughs> if you only knew what else is available here. Yeah, exactly. By the way, for anyone in my community, I do give Sedona recommendations inside of our, our group for our listeners and I, I can share them and I should put them up somewhere. Okay. So you just buy a flight, you show up there and figure it out as you go. I did that recently in Colorado where I woke up one morning here in Texas and I went and told my boyfriend, I was like, we could go, let's just go to Colorado. Let's go today. Like I, I want, he's like, really, are you serious? Right. I'm like, yes, let's leave. He's like, okay. So we left at six o'clock that day and just drove. It's only one state above mm-hmm. us. It ended up being the best trip. 18 days. We spent 18 days. We had no plans. We just figured it out as we went, we found really cool towns. I had never heard of like Dylan and Avon and Frisco, Mm-hmm. But this was only one state. So you're opening up a possibility of, wow, you could actually fly to another country. You can go to another place and you can do the same thing. That is definitely an edge for me. So this is expansive to hear. Oh, it doesn't end. You can even book a flight to Cusco, rent a car and just drive, you know? And you, I mean, worst case scenario, you have to sleep in your car one night, but it's just, again, the world isn't as dangerous as you think it is. And when you realize that you can just choose your own adventures and you don't have to do the pre-programmed plan, then yeah, it's, it's endless. There's, it's like decision paralysis because the world's a big open place and, and generally pretty friendly. Again, it's, it's a lot in the beginning to just do that if you don't have a lot of travel experience. But the problem I think with a lot of travel itineraries is you don't give enough room to be able to let the muse come in and say, Hey, let's, you know, try a different adventure. Let's, let's listen and see what people are saying. Uh, because if you're just going, you know, you went to Machu Picchu, then you ride the train, then you're going to uh, Oyate Tambo, then you're back in Cusco, then you're, you know, it's just, there's no space to actually just go for a walk down a, a street to see if you can find a, a cool coffee shop or, uh, you know, oh, look on Google, like I use Google Maps all the time. Hey, this spot looks great. Uh, it looks like a temple, but there's no pin. Let's just go check it out. And then you're like, oh, shit, actually, it's it's incredible. And there's nobody else here. Another thing you want, you want to be in a place with nobody. And that's essentially on, on my YouTube channel. I can't say to show up and make it happen uh, because when there's a business element to it, you have to have some structure. But I always leave some space to 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 find out what happens. So for example, I was uh, in Angola just uh, a couple of weeks ago. Angola is this unknown, massive country in Southern Africa. And no one's really gone there to make content. 
And we had to just kind of show up and see what we could find. And one of the most amazing moments we had is there was a beach there. It's called Shipwreck Beach, where if you have these giant ships, we're talking 300, 500 feet, and and you they're old and they're falling to pieces it's it's hard to get rid of them and expensive because if if you want to demolish a building downtown you it's not free you have to pay to to do it right so same thing with these big ships so you can go to a place like bangladesh or angola and you'd be like oh whoops shipwreck not my problem and you just leave it and go so uh there there's all these ships and we wanted to go see them went down to the the beach there and there was a bunch of these Angolan guys with like homemade welding equipment just cutting scrap metal off these giant steel cathedrals and we met some of the guys we swam out to this this floating shipwreck this old like piece of shit um metal thing and we hung out with them for an afternoon as they cut metal and showed us how they did their job and wow. it was a- amazing <laughs> but uh, you can't there's no again there's no tour for that it's just showing up, smiling, having a local contact to make sure you, you know what's going on. You can't just show up everywhere and expect to know. But you have someone who's local who knows, oh, it's fine here. You know, these guys are good or this area is fine. Just to kind of make sure you're you're in the areas you need to be. And then, oh, my God, the world's incredible. And over and over again, you meet these people in faraway places and you just realize we're all just freaking human. You know what I mean? And it sounds like they spoke English or they were just kind of, you were just kind of understanding or you spoke their language. They spoke Portuguese, which is Mm -hmm. crazy because Portugal is such a small country, but look at Brazil and Angola, which is right across the Atlantic Ocean is, is also Portuguese. But the thing is, it's amazing, like gesticulations, like playing charades, how well that works all of the time. Like I had a two-year-old here last night, my goddaughter, and I'm like, okay, let me just, I'm like trying to interpret what she's saying. <laughs> exactly. And the hands and the pointing. And I mean, Portuguese isn't too far off Spanish and French and English. So uh, we could communicate very basically. But mm-hmm. I was on a, a podcast uh, about a, a month ago, two months ago, maybe, a guy named uh, Mark Ganong. And he was saying that there was a an idea that in Italy, because it was the center of the world for so long, like North Africa and the Middle East and everything, that the Italians speak with their hands so much because there was always so many differences in language. And with that, you you become, you know, you speak, and I do that all the I can't stop waving my hands around making magic spells when, when I speak. And I think it's because I've been in so many cultures where I have to use my hands to speak. And then, yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? Yeah. I would also say that because of all the work that you're doing and all the challenges that you're doing, you're, it allows for embodiment. And when we're embodied, our soul's occupying our body. Therefore we're, we're moving our body. Be when, you say, one, when you say embodiment, what do you mean? I would say we're not, we disassociate, we all disassociate, right? Mm-hmm. But there's another degree of we are occupied. We can feel the sensations in our body where we, we can track and there's an awareness. And with that awareness, there's a level of embodiment being inside of our body versus when we're disassociated, right? We're dull, we're numbed out. We're not doing experiences like Mm. this. Mm -hmm. Therefore it's almost like it brings our, our gestures more online. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's some study that said 80 or 90% of communication is nonverbal and I think I believe that just the expression on your face and how you use your body, how you walk, how you, yeah, how you interact is 
humans are extremely perceptive to even a little, you know, twinge of a cheek or a little blink of an eye. Like we're very yeah. good at understanding how someone feels and what they want based on just uh, very small, small cues, right? Yes. And question, have you met any incredible spiritual teachers or people you consider masters inside all your travels? Mm-hmm. And who was your favorite? Who was my favorite? Well, uh, I have a science background. I have a biology degree. Always loved animals. Creepy crawly, creepier the crawlier the better. And with that came a little bit of atheism until I started traveling. And that kind of turned into more agnostic. And now I, I don't even know. Now it's 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 turning into something more than that. Because the more I experience, the deeper I dive into spirit spirituality around the world and my own. I just realized that there's just so much we don't know. And I think about there was um, the guy who invented germ theory like 150 years ago or something. Like 150 years ago, we still thought the body used humors, the four humors, not like haha humors, like the fluids in the body, phlegm, blood, black bile, yellow bile. And we thought when people were sick, it was an imbalance of these four humors. And this is, again, not even 200 years ago. This is how we thought people got sick. Like the word malaria, you know, uh, the disease, mal-air, like bad air. And, you know, like the plague masks where they had the big weird nose on them filled with herbs because we thought bad air and these fluids was how we got sick. And then what happened was this guy was um, working in a hospital and he realized that the doctors who worked in the morgue and went to the maternity ward, the baby's like there was a higher death rate in the babies. And he said, well, actually there must be something we're bringing from the dead bodies to the babies. And everyone laughed, ho, 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 you're crazy. No, no, no. Anyway, he died later. And they're like, oh, actually, you know what? Um, it's really bad. And there's something here called germs. He was right. He's dead now. Whoops, uh, should have <laughs> gave him credit. And so I think about that. And I'm like, if we, if that was only 150 years ago and we, and we didn't even realize germs existed, what do we not know now? Like we thought bloodletting was how you got rid of cancer or whatever, right? We didn't even know what cancer was, but that, that wasn't that long ago in our, our human species story. So there, I'm sure there's lots of things now where we, we just think it's science, you know, but it's just only because we haven't dug deep enough yet. And with spirituality, I think that's ex exactly it. I had a, an ayahuasca experience earlier this year that first or it was my third ayahuasca experience, but mm -hmm. I say it's my first because it, I died, Rebecca, <laughs> literally a shaman there who um, lives in Peru, but he was up in Mexico and he brought this kind of ayahuasca called sky ayahuasca. And again, I'm, I'm always the guy who's trying to push myself, learn more about myself, understand how I think I've got this journal. I write everything in. I'm always kind of thinking about how these quiet fears, like we spoke about slowly manipulate our lives. And I try to help people with that. And so when when the opportunity has arisen many times in my life to try psychedelics, I've always said, yes, uh, I don't actively seek them out. They just seem to present themselves. And I see that as a time, time to try. And so I had done it once before in Peru and it was a pretty wild experience. I felt awe for the first time, you know, we say awesome, but when have we felt real awe, you know, like, Oh my, like just paralyzing, like you're witnessing something like a meteor exploding over the earth, you know, like awe. And it was, it was very strong. 
So when I had the opportunity earlier this year to tr- to go again, um, I had a friend of mine who said this this is powerful shaman coming. Um, he's he's been doing it for 20, 20 years now. He uh, he originally turned into a shaman. He went to the jungles of Gabon in middle of Africa, and in the tribe there they have a, a psychedelic called iboga, which is the strongest of them all. It's a I believe it's a bark of a tree. And how the culture in that culture, how you become a shaman is you ingest this iboga and then you go into a coma for three weeks and then you die or you don't. And then if you don't, you're like, congratulations, you're a shaman. So he was in a coma for three weeks being cared for by the tribe. He woke up and that gave him his shaman card. Let's let's call it that. And so now he leads these ayahuasca ceremonies and he has this quite powerful brew called sky ayahuasca. And so I entered this, uh, this ceremony being like, all right, you know, Mr. Fearless and far let's, let's die. <laughs> and so I had boom, three shots and um, lost my mind. Actually, I, in previous, whenever I've done other hallucinogenics, like could be like LSD or mushrooms or whatever else, even enough, uh, THC, if you want to dabble that deep, you you can have a you can hallucinate and have a powerful experience, but you always know where you are. Like you you feel everything might be spinning, but you you still can feel where you are. But with this experience, I lost who I was. I couldn't tell if my eyes were opened or closed. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. I was like a cork floating in the deep blue sea. Like just nothing. Everything was just swirling rainbows of of color. And then the world shattered opened, and I felt this presence that I had never felt in my entire life of this thing. This it was like oppressive but beautiful. And I just remember laying there weeping and just hyperventilating, my heart thumping 150 beats a minute, witnessing this thing that again it was with me. I didn't know what it was, and I remember having that feeling where I was like, "Oh, you poor little thing, you little moat." on a, a beach filled with sand, how how did you dare think that you were ready to witness all of this? It was almost like if you've never seen inside a human body and someone just tore one open in front of you, it'd be like horrible, but at the same time, like, oh my God, like what? You know what I mean? But then not being able to understand anything either. I, I felt like I was a, a worm being shown the, the schematics to a rocket ship. Like I can't even I can't even, I'm a worm. Like, I don't even know what, what it is, like, let alone a rocket ship. And so that was earth shattering for me. And after an experience like that, when I felt like there was something, someone showing me everything, but I could never understand any of it. That's when my, my mind started to change quite a bit because you hear about these things like machine elves and, and things inside these substances. And until you you feel that, it's mm. it's really hard to understand this experience. And you realize that like these patterns and these 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 things you see when you do hallucinogenics, are they always there, or is your mind painting it on top? Like, for example, i I would see a lot of mandalas and fractals. Am I seeing those because I've seen mandalas and fractals in the past? And so my mind's making those or are they always there? And that's why, and people have seen them in the past. That's why they create these symbols and and show the world. And that's why they're associated with religion. So what we have to do is find some babies, keep them away from symbolism, give them DMT and ask them later what what they saw because (laughs) 
<laughs> because anyway, how would you ever know? It's just like the, the chicken, the chicken and the egg. Like you can't, yeah. anybody who's going to go down that path is going to have reference points of, of what to see. Right. And so it just opens up this entire interesting question of like, what's behind the curtain. And especially mm-hmm. when you hear like DMT is, they think is released on when you die and you do see, again, I saw a bright white light and I lost into my body, all these different things. It, it starts to really kind of pick at your brain a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. It starts to have you question everything you, you ever knew. Yeah. And it's scary because then you, you have to change your view on the world, right? Um, you, you come out of that. It took me three, four weeks to, to let's say recover. I would just stare off into the distance and just, <laughs> you know, contemplate my own existence, but it's beautiful <laughs> in that sense too, where it's good to ask questions. And yeah. at least for me, like I, I felt terror like I'd never felt before, like a primordial terror, you know, like when we were just scum in a pond, you know, like, like that, like a deep seated fear. But again, fear is so viscerally human. Everyone feels fear. Just no one talks about it. And that's for that experience, what came up in me and of all the mm-hmm. things to experience, honestly, it's probably good that I did feel that because I want to understand that more and more and more and more so I can help people more and more and more and more. Yeah, absolutely. And with, with questioning things, like when we experience things and we're like, wow, this is actually pressing up against the constructs of my reality. This is pressing up against what I thought. My, my family's really into ETs. I don't know if you've researched or you're, are you into ETs at all? The, the nineties movie. The nine is that an oh ET with Drew Barrymore? <laughs> uh, actual ET? ETs. So like, where you see crafts in the sky, and you know, so my dad started showing me this stuff like when I was 24, 25. And the first experience I had, it made me question everything. At first, I was like, okay, I see this, but there was no connection. It was almost like I was because I was still in my constructs of what I know. Mm-hmm. And then I had a personal experience by myself and that just blew like totally sober that just rocked my world. And then when you have something like that, like your ayahuasca experience or ETs or for listeners, it may be something unique. It just rocks your world. And then you get to pause and it can be so scary. And then also it's interesting how it can be so simultaneously liberating at the same time. Mm-hmm. You mean like extraterrestrials ET? Yes. I gotcha. It's interesting. Do you think they're from a different planet or do you think it's us from the future coming back or us coming from a different plane of existence? I think both. You think so? I don't know. I don't have any answers. I wish I did. I think both. Um, I'd say I'm sure there's experiences where it's aspects of us and our being inside of another dimension. That's then, yeah, we're, we're now in this, say in this reality, open to having that experience, which allows it to, to, for us to visibly see them. And I also mm. think that we can have guides and, um, you know, light beings and people who are connected to us that we can then visit with our, our last trip was uh, like, I need to do a whole episode on it, but we actually had three beings, 10 feet tall, take shape on the ground. Luminous. It was wild. That what they visited you or did you somehow we had eight pond? friends. Wow. Yeah. We go to this place every single year. This is that we go this August again. And the, usually we always see activity in the sky and my dad shows us how to communicate with them and they'll respond back. And, but this time they, we, we have footage of it. I haven't shared it yet. I'll, I'll share it with you, but anyone who's listening to this, if you run to me in person, I will show you on my, <laughs> I will, sh- I haven't put it online, but 
it, it was just so heart opening. It's interesting how you say in your ayahuasca experience, you feel this bliss and this lightness and this new feeling is very similar in the sense where you're like, I had so much joy, like pulse or just this bliss or ecstasy that's pulsating through your body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's wild. Yeah, ex- exactly. I- I'm always interested in stories like that. I mean, again, I always have a very critical eye because of my background. But again, after 10 years of this, going to some of the most haunted places on the planet, going to some of the most spiritual, the most powerful people say place on the planet, I haven't had that many like first encounters or with ghosts or extraterrestrials, but I have seen and experienced enough to confidently say that there is something more that we don't know yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. with your science background and then also this unlocking and spirituality and just playing in all both worlds do you like joe dispenza oh man someone that's come across my radar so many times and never actually read his book wow i feel like you may resonate with his work and for anyone who's listening who resonates with so much what mike's saying he's just great because he's a neuroscientist and he his whole thing is i want to demystify the mystical so he brings studies and cases and shows basically how there is a greater intelligence, a divine intelligence that we can access to then do crazy things. Like the testimonials that they have are unbelievable. Mm. So mm-hmm. yeah, now that he's on your radar again, I highly recommend him. His, my favorite book of his is becoming supernatural. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my, my last question for you is <laughs> how can everyone stalk you, find you, get to know you for all of our listeners. I know you have your YouTube channel and I know we became friends on Instagram anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, YouTube's where it's at. I've uh, got all kinds of wild adventures there. I'm spending a lot of time living with different tribes around the world. Uh, if you like adventure or you like just learning about strange places, it's the channel. It's called fearless and far. And like, for example, Angola and Ethiopia, this trip, uh, it's been Turkmenistan, Mauritania, a lot of places people don't normally go. And often people can go to these places and say, hey, they walk around, they make a vlog about how dangerous it is. Ah, I try to do the opposite. I try to find local stories of interesting people, places, cultures, festivals, things, and show the story behind them. So you can actually feel the people, right? Because I think we, we, we think that we want to go travel the world to see Mount Everest and, you know, the Eiffel Tower. But ultimately, I've learned that the most powerful travel experience I had have always been with people. It's always, you know, the, the guy who takes you in on, on the rainstorm and gives you a fresh meal that, that, that that's more important than seeing some landmark or some landscape, mm-hmm. right? And so I always try to find interesting people and places. And uh, I guarantee you'll find some fun stuff. I don't recommend watching the body suspension first unless you, (laughs) (laughs) but everyone seems to love it. So awesome. And both of those links are in the show notes below. Mike, thank you so much. This was so expansive and opening and it's inspired me to get out of my bubble more and to just buy a ticket and go. So I'm going to have to do that and then report back. And I appreciate everything that you shared and what you're up to in the world. That's great. You got some homework. I hope you enjoyed the episode and you can find a ton more free tips on my Instagram under Rebecca Boatman. If you are curious about my online membership and community, you can click the link that is in the description and see the page that explains everything you get to support you on your journey to attracting and building a healthy relationship. And I hope to see you inside.